Hey there, everybody, and welcome to the NFL Roadshow, heading into the final week of the regular season with some big games ahead for the team still trying to snag a playoff berth. And we'll focus on the teams with the best chances to do that in this episode with Guy Haberman coming on from SiriusXM and the Pac-12 Network and the Haberman and Middlecoff podcast. We're also going to be touching base with my guy Sean O'Hara, who has some thoughts on O-line play this year, the rash of big man touchdowns this season, and of course, the direction of his former team, the New York Giants. First, though, the playoff chat, which is way more fun. I got to tell you right off the top, scenarios suck. I think scenarios suck. I hate that part of this part of the season. The, well, if this happens and that happens and this other thing can happen, but if you take one of those things out, then this totally different thing happens. I just can't. So for purposes of the content that you're about to consume, know this. There is a chance for the Ravens or Steelers to make the playoffs in the AFC. But because their scenarios are a little bit convoluted and require other teams to help them out, we're not going to focus on those this week, we're going to focus on the teams that have some degree of control and or probability on their side. And so with that, we welcome back to the show Guy Haberman, who was awesome a month ago when he joined my Yay, USC is relevant again because they hired Lincoln Riley episode, which is probably what we should have named the episode because it really gets to the heart of the message that I was trying to convey. Anyway, he was great on that episode and now he's back with some NFL thoughts. So let's break the huddle with the Born to be in broadcasting with that name, Guy Haberman. Hold up, let's go! Two on, two on, two. Ready? All right, Guy Haberman, thank you so much for making time. Welcome to the show. Good to be back. Yay. Sorry, I'm on UCLA colors for the second. It's not okay. It's not, it's not okay. Mm, it feels intentional a little bit when it's two times in a row, but that's okay. A little baby blue. I can look at it. Um, let's talk a little NFL here. So there are a couple of matchups this week with a, a few open spots in terms of playoffs. And one of the teams that is vying for a spot is in your backyard there in the Bay area, uh, in the NFC, the open spots, either going to go to the Niners or to the saints. And the Niners have two ways to get in though. Neither is expected to happen. According to Vegas, if the Niners beat the Rams, they're in game in LA Rams favored by four and a half. Uh, the second scenario, if the Saints lose to Atlanta, San Francisco is in that game in Atlanta, Saints favored by four and a half. If neither of those things happen, the Niners uh, lose to the Rams and the Saints beat the Falcons, then the Saints go because the Niners do not have a tiebreaker in that situation against the Saints. I kind of hate scenarios. Do you hate scenarios? I feel like my brain sort of turns off when people talk about them and I'm like, just get to it, you know? Yeah, yeah. But no head to I head. Guess, the head to head is the best scenario. You start talking about conference records. Right. Ugh. I think the great thing about some of those conference tiebreakers is it really sheds a light on missed opportunities, though. Um, and the 49ers have missed a lot of opportunities or common opponent tiebreakers. Same deal. And the 49ers have missed a lot of opportunities. So I think the Niners are an interesting team, though, because I guess they kind of have a decision to make here. And one of the biggest uh, question marks surrounding this team is who they should start at quarterback. Uh, either this week and or if they get to the postseason, if they get to the postseason, I think this is an interesting question because uh, it really comes down to what you think is realistic to expect from the rest of the team, in my opinion. Right. Do you have a team that you think can go on a run and win enough games to win a Super Bowl? Or are you like trying to steal a win? What do you think is actually realistic in terms of expectations? I think that changes the decision about which quarterback you're going to go with. Do you? Uh, I, well, look, I think 
for us, there's a lot of different ways to talk about it. I think for Kyle Shanahan so far this year, every decision he's made about quarterback has come down to Jimmy Garoppolo's availability. When Jimmy Garoppolo has been available, he's been starting the quarterback. Now I'm not convinced that Jimmy Garoppolo, I don't, my guess is that he's not going to be available this week, right? He's got a thumb injury that might require surgery at the end of the year on his throwing hand. This isn't Baker running around right with a, a, a brace on his non-throwing shoulder. This is a throwing hand injury for Jimmy Garoppolo. So I think that combined maybe a little bit with how Trey Lance looked, which is better and better and better as the game wore on last week, albeit against the Houston Texans, I think makes Trey Lance the starter in, in a must-win game. But but I think it it is... I think Trey Lance might have thrown for 350 yards. If Jimmy Garoppolo was 100%, I still think Kyle might go with Jimmy Garoppolo this week. Um, just based on, even though he doesn't trust him a lot, it feels like maybe he trusts him at this point more than than Trey Lance. But maybe he found a little something as the game wore on last week. Again, against the Houston Texans. That would yeah. give him a little more confidence um, in Trey Lance. But I, I think, you know, I think a couple of things, big picture with this team. Hmm. To miss the playoffs this year would be a massive failure. Given that they made a decision, they made a decision not to develop Trey Lance this year on the field mm-hmm. and to play Jimmy Garoppolo. And they made that decision because they thought with Jimmy Garoppolo, they could at one point in time, I think they thought they could be a Super Bowl contender. Yeah, they could definitely be a playoff team. And so if they missed the playoffs while paying Jimmy Garoppolo twenty three million dollars and we get to next year and Trey Lance has played two and a half more games after one season of NFL football than he played. You know, in the basically, he played no games. He played actually played one game in 2020. Remember, North Dakota State put on that, like, I think they played Central Missouri or something like that one game showcase for him. So he's played one game since his last full season as a college football quarterback. Now we'll have this season, they won't make the playoffs, and he will have played three and a half total games since his last season as a full time starter. That would be a miscalculation and a failure by the 49ers. And, and I think where it could really bite them is what does 2022 then look like? And I think 2022, at least to start, we'll have this cloud hanging over it of, all right, you spent last year not developing Trey Lance. Does that cost you the 22 season as well? After you, you traded away, you got, you don't have a 22 set first rounder. You don't have a 22 third rounder. You traded that one away. You don't have a 23 first rounder. So I think it's imperative that they make the playoffs this year Um, or it's imperative that Trey Lance is really good right away. And I even think if you make the playoffs, Lindsay, and are like one and done, even then you can look back a year later and go, eh, that probably wasn't worth it. But at least in the moment, okay, we got it. You're trying to win now and we understand that. So I think there's a lot riding on this game on, on Sunday for the 49ers. Well, when you say they didn't develop Trey Lance, you could look at that two ways, right? One, you obviously want to get somebody reps on the field in game. That's different than practices and stuff like that. But there was a lot of talk coming into the season about him being maybe one of the least ready guys to take the field that we talked about in terms of the top of the draft class at quarterback. And so maybe this year they think they did develop him in some of the ways that they thought he needed development, that they could get that done in the classroom, that they could get that done on the field. Do you think that there's anything to that? Yeah, that's possible. Definitely. Now we won't know that answer until 2022, but it's definitely possible that like we're a month into the 2022 season and we look back and go, okay, that actually wasn't a total waste. But I, I think you'd be hard pressed to say that, you know, I, for anyone that watched the Niners Texans, 
Trey Lance looked like a guy starting his first game again early in that game. It took him a little while to settle in, which is understandable. His last start came like in early October. So, you know, you don't get to, you got to start over a little bit. Um, So it's definitely possible for sure. But I think when you've got a young quarterback, we see it repeatedly around the league. You have to get that guy ready to kind of earn the almost inevitable $25 million or $35 million, depending on how these, by the time Trey Lance is up for a contract, if he's, whether he's good or not, what are quarterbacks going to be making? I mean, it's going to be a massive amount of money um, in yearly salary. And it's going to be, a, it's still, it, even though the number goes up and the cap goes up, it's always going to be probably relatively a large chunk of your cap, right? No matter yeah. how big the cap gets. So the faster you get that guy ready, the better. And that'll be one of the big, that'll be the big question for the 49ers in 2022. Um, did they accomplish what you're talking about with Trey Lance, you know, in the classroom? So to me, looking at this week and the the situation in the NFC, the Niners have the tougher road, I I feel like, to get in. But I feel like they're the more worthy team to get into the postseason. The Saints do not feel like a postseason team. I give Sean Payton and everybody else there tons of credit for them being in the position that they're in. I think Sean Payton, uh, maybe because they're so unimpressive when you look across the board, you kind of just throw the team away. I think his name should maybe be mentioned in the coach of the year conversation a little bit more just because of where they are considering what he's had to work with on the offensive side in particular. But I, I don't necessarily, to me, they're like the bears last year. They're a team that is kind of wasting our time if they make it into the postseason. Cause even if they can steal one, they're not going anywhere. And it's so, you know, let's just move on. The Niners, I feel like are a little bit more interesting because they feel like a team that could knock a team off here or there, steal a win, maybe go on a run. But then to me, that's where the Trey Lance conversation comes in because Jimmy Garoppolo, it's like a floor ceiling situation, right? Like Jimmy Garoppolo probably has a higher floor and a lower ceiling. And so that's where the conversation comes back to everything else around him. Do you feel like you have the weapons and the rest of the roster that can actually make a run if he just does, uh, if he's kind of an average to above average quarterback and you get what you're expecting, which is consistently middle of the road, whereas Trey Lance is going to have a lower floor, perhaps it might just completely fall out. He might make the mistakes, um, though I think his turnover worthy play rate is essentially the same as Jimmy Garoppolo on this season, according to PFF's uh, numbers, but, but it feels like his big time throw rate, all that kind of stuff. He gives you a higher ceiling. He does. So if you're looking to go on a run and you're okay with the rookie, maybe losing a game for you, if you don't think that you would win those games anyway, then maybe you go with the seal that the high ceiling guy and you just go, you know, go for it. Cause how else, how are you going to beat Tom Brady? How are you going to beat? although the bucks are kind of falling apart at the seams, but they still have Tom Brady, but then how are you going to beat that Cowboys offense? If they can get off this roller coaster and actually look the way that we expect them to look, uh, which has been inconsistent. How are you going to beat Aaron Rodgers? How are you going to beat some of these teams in the NFC? And I think you almost need that wild card out of San Francisco. I'm not sure if the team uh, without him, is good enough. Yeah. Well, they're not with Garoppolo. To, they're not good enough to make a run with Garoppolo. Um, and I think you. this goes back to your original point on the talent that they have around him, right? Like, to not make the playoffs with George Kittle, yeah, with Debo Samuel, Debo mm-hmm. Samuel becoming one of the best receivers in the NFL. Slash running backs. Run, slash running backs, yeah. <laughs> I, somebody, what, a, there's a, a Niner fan out there that made a t-shirt that it says uh, WRB1. 
right? Wide receiver <laughs> one, RB one. Yep. Um, with Trent Williams being exactly what you thought he was, one of the best left tackles in the NFL, with a run game that even though it has had a kind of a rotating a cast, has been really good. Elijah Mitchell's been one of the best as a rookie, even though we battled some injuries, been one of the best running backs in the NFL this year. So uh, Kyle Juszczyk, I mean, like it's almost, especially offensively, their defensive line has been fantastic. Nick Bosa has been fantastic, right? So for that group to not make the playoffs, and then to your point, to not make the playoffs because a group with Taysom Hill at quarterback, no mm-hmm. Michael Thomas, an undrafted second-year wide receiver, Marquez Callaway as its yeah. leading receiver, Alvin Kamara this year, for a variety of reasons, you know, injury part of it, has a 60% reduction in his touchdowns Ugh. over last year. And, they, and they've they, been missing and they, both of their tackles for like half the season. Yes. I mean, it's been a complete mess mm-hmm. and a credit to Sean Payton. But this goes back to what I said, like the Niners have put themselves in, in this position. It's hard to feel sorry for them. And part of the reason they're in this position is because. Jimmy Garoppolo's floor, I think, is lower than sometimes you might think it is. And I think we saw that in the Titans game um, on Thursday night after, you know, some people thought, oh, maybe the Niners are rolling a little bit. They lost a game that I think they they should have won. And it was because of the only way. And I said this going into that game. The only way they're going to lose that game was if Garoppolo throws turnover, make, throws interceptions or makes mistakes. And he threw a, an end zone turnover and then another one in the second half. But. So I think that, that one game has been kind of an anomaly for him, though, in the second half of the season. Right. Like statistically, I know if you look at his full season, his stats come down a lot or, yeah. or go up a lot. I guess if you throw out the first few games where right. it was just kind of a shit show and then he got better. And so they they go on a run and he's kind of consistently like what you expect from him. And then there was that right. one game where the bottom fell out again. Yeah. But but I think that's the pattern. Like we don't have a lot of historical pattern on Garoppolo because he hasn't really played that much mm-hmm. um, consistently, but that is the pattern. Um, you know, th- there are some guys, there are some things that happen when they happen, you think they're going to keep happening. And then there are some things that happen when they happen. You think, well, they can't possibly keep going at this rate. And I would say Garoppolo, that's a non-scientific analysis falls into that category of you go, okay, the other shoe is going to drop at some point. And you're right. We only accept a scientific analysis on this show, guys. Well, there- so if you could just be better <laughs> moving forward. Uh, there is a lot of statistical analysis that says Garoppolo at times was playing like one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL. I'm here to tell you, he's not one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL by like a top 10 margin, right? He is absolutely, I think sometimes, particularly in the Niner, uh, in the Niner circles in terms of, uh, you know, just everyone watching him, uh, every second that he plays, the analysis goes a little too far the other way. Like he is absolutely an NFL starter, but the mistakes that that we see from him in the worst moments sometimes. Um, and he makes some big moment plays as well. There's no question. There's just an, I, I don't think he chokes. I just think there is an inconsistency with him that sometimes mm-hmm. shows up in a bad spot. Um, those things are real. Th- those that's part of, I think what he is as an NFL quarterback, which is what most guys are. Is there NFL a consistent pattern when you watch the games that explains why he is inconsistent. Is he inconsistent in consistent ways? Kind of a weird question, but do you know what I mean? Uh, yeah. I mean, I think the more he throws, I think he will make mistakes if he throws the football a lot. Like the Great. more he throws, the harder to protect. 
That's what you want to say about your quarterback. But I think that's, don't you think that's most, I think the position is so hard and the vast majority of guys are not quote unquote elite at it. And we're talking Mm -hmm. about trying to, you know, the franchise trying to win a Super Bowl. Um, Although that's not what the the case is this year, but yeah, I, I think he's not a very good downfield thrower and I think he's not great outside the numbers. And so what that makes the 49ers to compare them to an NBA team is a team that doesn't hit a lot of three pointers. You know, I think a lot of their offense has to come from, even though they have elite players, it comes from design. And I think that's really difficult. Imagine your NBA team doesn't hit threes. Well, how many really good play? You have to run a lot of really good set plays then over the course of a game to score enough if the other team can hit three-pointers. And a three-point shot can just be a way in the NFL. It just is a way to make up yards. It's a way to make up deficits. It's a way to avoid having to do A, B, C, D. I think when you watch the Niners offensively, one of the reasons they look so fantastic when they're clicking on offense is because it usually takes like seven or nine or 10 or 11 plays. And so there's a rhythm that gets created with them that is, it's really impressive. It's a testament to Kyle Shanahan's play calling. It's a testament to the individual plays that guys like Debo Samuel or George Kittle can make. Mm -hmm. But I think it also opens you up to errors when your drives have to be so orchestrated as opposed to, you know what, we can just make it for a couple of mistakes by heaving it down the field to, you know, because our quarterback can do that. There's no Joe Burrow, Jamar Chase, F it. And I think just lost it up. He's going to make the play. Exactly. And I think the the drafting of Trey Lance was an acknowledge. I think Kyle Shanahan, like a lot of coaches and you, you've heard coaches say this. I talked to one offensive play caller the other day a college coach who said this if we just run the plays that i tell them to run we're going to be really good but the game happens like there's 22 human beings running around on the field bouncing off each other right one thing happens there's a butterfly effect and i think you know kyle shanahan drafting trey lance is an acknowledgement and it goes back to losing the super bowl to patrick mahomes and andy reed like i can drop a million great plays but at the end of the day the guy holding the football has to make some plays too and drafting Trey Lance was an acknowledgement that sometimes you just need somebody to go out there and make a play. I mean, Josh Allen's a great example of this, right? Totally. And that's generally not what happens in the 49ers offense. The 49ers offense has to be very tightly orchestrated with, with small margins for error. And one error can, can throw the whole thing out of whack. And, and I think we see that a lot. The other thing that Trey brings to the table in a playoff scenario is that I think he makes things a lot more complicated for the defense. And this is an offense that's already has built in ways to make things complicated for a defense, right? In terms of the way that they use various personnel and the creativity in terms of the play calling. But Trey adds that extra element of like the defense is like, I don't know what they're going to do. And for better or for worse, I guess the fact that they have used him so infrequently this year, that exists maybe even more than it would otherwise. Because there's not a lot of tape. Yeah, it's and partly because it exists for Kyle Shanahan also. Like the rub, right, is that Kyle, and he has said it this year, like he didn't quite know early on. The reason we haven't seen Trey Lance in, for for people that haven't watched the Niners, there hasn't been a lot of this like Trey Lance on the goal line gets a play, right? They haven't done really any of that, except early in the year they did once or twice. Um, And part of the reason Kyle Shanahan explained is that when the quarterback changes, the defense changes, and now he doesn't get the same patterns from the defense that he's right used to seeing. But what that does to your point is it then creates a defense that is unsure of what Kyle Shanahan is going to do. Mm -hmm. So there is an opportunity here. If they beat the Rams or if the Saints lose, 
and Kyle Shanahan then heads into the playoffs with two Trey Lance games under his belt, that you get what you know what 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 we've gotten in the past with you know now you don't get it as much I think with zone read type quarterbacks that can do that uh, where defenses early on didn't really you know early on in like the Colin Kaepernick type era didn't quite know what to get and then they adjust and then you have to adjust back. But you could get that little sweet spot early where teams don't quite know what to expect from Trey Lance. Although defenses on a more fundamental level now are just more prepared for, you know, like zone read type RPO type stuff. Um, You could hit kind of a sweet spot there where you take a big jump forward, maybe ahead of where you actually are just because of the lack of predictability with Trey Lance. And I think the other thing that's great, I think one of the things that has me really optimistic about him if you watch him and if you get the chance to watch him Sunday, watch for this. He really, for a mobile guy, does not break the pocket to run. He breaks the pocket to throw. Now, sometimes he doesn't get the ball out as quickly as Garoppolo does. And Adam Archuleta said that during the broadcast last week. And it was clear. You know, I think I, I take that as, you know, something said early in a broadcast, probably something the coach told you about a player, right? <laughs> what? He doesn't get the ball out as quickly as Jimmy Garoppolo. I think that's, that probably comes from coaches meetings, right? I think it's. Yeah. I don't want to assume that, but it's. I think we saw a coach's meeting on display and Monday night football, right? (laughs) Like all of the, I think this is going to be the last one for Ben Roethlisberger. If it's going to be like, that was all anyway. Did the NFL know that game was going to, did that game get scheduled week 17 Monday night football for a reason? Hmm. Or is that too? Is it just Brown Steelers could be a good game? Really um, good game. Yeah. That was a barn burner (laughs) from a football standpoint. Um. Uh, you know, I think that there was some truth in some of that stuff about Jimmy Garoppolo, right? He he pro- he sees stuff very quickly. He knows what he's supposed to do. But um, Trey Lance, even though sometimes you might exit the pocket a little quickly, his goal when he exits the pocket is not to run. It is to he takes a lot of time trying to throw the ball, and and I think that's a fantastic quality for a mobile quarterback. So against the Rams this week, uh, you know, divisional opponent, weird things happen. How do you think the Niners, how do you see them matching up against Los Angeles? Well, I, you know, again, the first part of that is who who plays quarterback. Let's say it's Trey. Yeah, I mean, it's so that brings a little complication. Um, but historically, it's, they match up well. Hey, Kyle Shanahan, the one like there's this. It's been less of a debate over the last couple of years, McVeigh or Shanahan. Mm-hmm. McVeigh's done a fantastic job. There's not a debate. That's not, I'm not that's not some, you know, I'm, I'm saying what everybody else says, but Shanahan's done a really good job against him. The Rams have not beaten the 49ers since 2018. That's the incredible. 49ers have won five straight games over the Rams, despite the fact that the Niners have been kind of, haven't, haven't been, well, I guess they were good in 19, but they weren't great 20. And obviously this year they, they beat them as well. So, um, you know, is it hard to beat a six a team six times? I think it hurts the Niners that the Rams have something to play for here. But I think they in terms of seating, in terms of seating, yeah, and the, the, division, the division, yeah, the Rams can win the division, which is pretty impressive considering you know what it looked, the Cardinals looking like they had a stranglehold on the division. But I think they match up well. I think the concern is, I don't know why if you're a team running offense against the Niners, you would do anything but throw the ball downfield. Um, their cornerbacks, although improving have been this year of pass interference waiting to happen hmm. repeatedly. I mean, everybody that watches the Niners knows if there's an incomplete pass downfield, you still wait three seconds to see if there's a flag. 
<laughs> and the Rams have the ability to push the ball down the field. Maybe Odell well, settling. We, so- we think, we think, I mean, but last week I was like, Hey, this Raven secondary admittedly, you know, got Jimmy Smith back. And so it wasn't yeah. quite the secondary that we'd seen the week before, but I thought this is Stafford and cup waiting to go crazy. And then it just didn't. And so there's a little bit of a roller coaster involved with Matthew Stafford. You know, if he turns the ball over a time or two, then maybe he'll be perfect in the second half to get him back in the game. But how deep of a hole will he put him in before then? I mean, I, th- I think that they're a question mark because they're one of those teams that should be able to take advantage of that. Yes. But I, th- yeah. I thought that last week, too. Yeah. Yeah. I think six picks in the last three games. Um, but, you know, the Niners throw you the ball, too. So I think what's impressive about the Rams, I give them credit, not that they're playing. They've won every game. They've won those last three games, despite the fact that he has six interceptions. The Niners, now they beat the Texans with a pick last week, but the Niners do not this year win games when their quarterbacks throw picks. In -hmm. fact, when they don't throw picks, they win. And when they throw picks, they lose. It's almost been, I think the only, I think the only exception of that might be the Texans game this last week. And the Lions game week one, for the most part with Garoppolo, it's been throws, throws, picks, loses, doesn't throw picks, wins. Um, Now, if the Niners get some, which has not been their strength, then maybe that takes care of itself. But because of what I said about the way the 49ers offense is, they just can't afford to give possessions away. So, you know, it's a common, it's a very common opponent. Uh, I think the Niners benefit from what you just described, kind of the instability of quarterback. They did a great job historically against Goff because he wasn't mobile. And again, their defensive line, in addition to Bosa, has been really, really good, really good. And they kind of need them to protect their secondary. But, uh, you you know, they've they've won five of these games in a row. I don't think that's nothing. And I I would give them a – they got a shot. What would you say the number is on this game? Three and a half? Four and, and a half. half. Four and a half, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's uh, doable. It's a f- that'll, that'll be a fun game. You know, I, I can't say with a great – well, you can't say anything with a great degree of certainty this year in the NFL, but – I don't know what's going to happen there in the afternoon window. And um, one of the, I think, more intriguing games of the weekend because of what's at stake there for both teams in this situation. Over on the AFC side, I think the game that is probably the best game of the week, though there is a scenario where it turns out not to be, is the Chargers Raiders, which is the post, uh, I'm sorry, the primetime game. And the one game that looks like it could be a win and you're in lose and go home type of game. There is a scenario where if the Jaguars beat the Colts, that that maybe that changes. Don't laugh like team. that. I mean, the Jags haven't won. The Colts haven't won in, in Jacksonville since 2014. I think that's incredible considering how bad Jacksonville has been. I don't understand that. But I also don't see it happening. I just cannot see a scenario where the Colts are playing to get into the postseason and the Jacksonville Jaguars that just got like run up and down. I mean, that game against the Patriots was gross. That was embarrassing. The whole season's been embarrassing. If they end this year of all teams by knocking a team out of the postseason, what? No. Well, I mean, they, they, um, you know, they, they kind of killed the Colts last year, right? Oh, um, in, Indianapolis lost week one to them. And um, I, I'm trying to, I got to go back and double. I mean, they were 11 and five. Uh, they did beat them week 17 last year, but they lost week one of them. And that, and that game hung around all year for them. So no, I don't see it either. Imagine. 
And then, and then that sets up a situation where like neither team in the primetime game that we're all excited to sit down and watch with so much at stake. Neither team has anything to play for. <laughs> They're both in a double tie. They could play for the tie. No. In, and, and I'm sorry, in, that game didn't kill Indianapolis in the end last year because they, they did make the playoffs, but it was close because remember Miami was 10 and six. So it almost came back. Indianapolis made the playoffs at 11 and five. It almost came back to bite them. Miami was the fact that they lost to Jacksonville. Anyway, okay, um, I am willing to assume for purposes of this conversation and the excitement agreed. that I want to see on Sunday that the Colts Jaguars are not a game that is going to affect this scenario. So I choose to believe that Chargers Raiders is going to be a win and you're in lose and go home type of game because that's a lot more fun. So yes. and also it's, you know, like Rams Niners, like, I don't know. I don't know. I, I don't have a feeling one way or the other. I think that the Chargers are the better team. That said, I, I wrote off the Raiders several weeks ago and the Raiders are in this situation. So I kind of feel like maybe I just don't have my finger on the pulse of what the Raiders have going on there because on paper, offensively, I just don't think that they should be in this mix, but they have found a way to win some of these games in the last few weeks to stay in this mix. And so I don't feel comfortable writing them off, especially against a Chargers team that while I think is is far superior in terms of talent, um, I'm coaching all of it right now, we haven't seen consistency from them. So I think that the Chargers are the better team and the Chargers can do some damage in the postseason where, again, I don't think that the Raiders are that. I don't know that I feel comfortable just riding off the Raiders going into that game, especially Uh, the rivalry situation in the divisional matchup. And who knows? Yeah, I don't think you should feel comfortable writing them off. Um, You know, I the I've I've written the Raiders off three times this year. So let me learn from my lesson. Welcome to my club. I thought they were toast after mm-hmm. they lost on Sunday night or on a Sunday to the Bengals got roasted. And then they were going to go play the Cowboys on, on a short week on Thanksgiving. I thought there was no chance. And obviously they won that game in spectacular fashion. I did not think they were going to go to Indianapolis and win this week, especially once Wentz was back and they did, and they did it. You know, Derek Carr has never played in the playoff game. The Raiders have played in one playoff game in the Derek Carr era, and he was injured for that game. Um, Connor Cook, I think, started that game. So the way he he played, I mean, they played in a playoff level game against Indianapolis, and he made, I mean, some massive plays in that game, some huge throws, some winning play. Even though we threw two picks, I thought it was really a testament to Derek Carr that they won that game. It really is a testament to the whole, everything they've been through Yeah, this year, Henry Ruggs, Gruden. Um, and now they have another, another player this week with the DUI, but here's what they get. They get their, potentially, I think the thing to watch is do they get Darren Waller back? Darren Waller was hurt. Huge. Then he was on the COVID list. I, I think Rich Bisaccia said Tuesday that we'll see Wednesday. If he can get back to practice, that would be a big deal for them. Um, I, they, they've just got something going right now through everything that is really impressive. Hunter Renfro has been really good. They, they they feel to me as crazy as this sounds um, almost a little more predictable than the chargers are because I, because I, and, and, and this is maybe, you know, my own I'm projecting here. I, I don't think the Raiders should be better than they are. I no. think the chargers should be better than they are. Yes. And so in some ways you, I almost treat them more harshly. Um, you know, they're in this position because they lost to the Texans. Yeah. When they were, yeah. I think a 10 and a half point favorite a couple of weeks ago. Uh, I, I'm very pro Herbert, but very. you know we, we have we have 
we have crowned the Chargers before they've really earned anything. And, you know, if they were to lose this week, what would they be? Nine and eight? Uh, Anthony Lynn's going like, okay, I could have done that. Like, are you guys really? Like, this is, Herbert was good when I had him. So I think it would be a, it'd be a massive, massive letdown for them, given the position that they were in. And I, I think the Raiders have to be playing. It's easy for me to say this. I don't know if they feel this way, but to me, there's a lot of pressure on the Chargers. Oh, yeah. Uh, the, Rusher, the the Raiders are. House know, money. Yep. No one expected I didn't want to say house money, but house money. Nah. Yeah. Yeah. I, I totally agree because everyone wrote them off. Everybody did. I mean, I like it's not that I dislike the Raiders. I want the Raiders to, you know, Mike Mayock is a friend of mine. I want there to be success. It was just from a pure football analysis standpoint. Once you took Henry Ruggs out of the mix, Gruden, okay, fine. Like that's, that's, that's a lot to metabolize in a locker room, (laughs) just, but just from a, from a pure X's and O's standpoint, I think taking Henry Ruggs out of the mix and then not using Zay Jones the way that they've been using him in the last couple of weeks or Brian Edwards, like those guys, Deshaun Jackson, they never really went to them consistently. So you didn't have that stretch the field guy. I just thought there was too much in the same area of the field. And then it becomes really predictable. And that's kind of my concern. Honestly, if they get Darren Waller back this week, that's massive because he's hugely talented. You want your best players on the field. I just hope that it doesn't draw targets away from Zay Jones because I think that they need that element of their game in order to be competitive in these games moving forward. And if you just go Jacobs, who's been so good lately, and then Hunter Renfro and Darren Waller, and those are the guys that you're kind of focusing on because they're your best guys, then it all kind of gets a lot more like a passing chart that looks like what Ben Roethlisberger put on paper in on Monday night. <laughs> ben, you know ben had three throws downfield. They just weren't completed. <laughs> I mean, it was a thing of beauty looking at that passing chart. That, yeah, like, that was how do you throw that many times for that low a passing yardage total? It's just gorgeous and get the win. But, but regardless, that's kind of my thing is like, and I know Raiders fans have been frustrated in years past about the ADOT conversation and that being attributed to Derek Carr. I think this year has nothing to do with Derek Carr. It has to do with the way that the roster is constructed, where their strengths lied once they lost Henry Ruggs. I think that that loss was massive. I love the way that they've incorporated Zay Jones in the last couple of weeks. And I think that that kind of changes things a little bit moving forward. It's that little element. Like, can he be that guy? Okay. Now we're talking, you know, because it opens things up for the guys who are your playmakers a little bit closer to the line of scrimmage. I think Derek Carr trusts him a lot. And I think we've, we've seen that all year long, even before the Ruggs absence or uh, issue. And um, loss, probably the best word for it. Uh, but I think Carr trusts him a lot. I don't. I, I think it's a legitimate concern. I don't think Waller coming back would keep. I think Carr likes to throw the ball down the field. Do you know why Carr likes throwing the ball down the field? Because he's good at it. Most people yeah. like to do things they're good at. Derek actually, Derek, not actually, we know this. Derek has a really good arm. Yeah, he's got a fantastic arm. I've never met a fast person that doesn't want to run. Um, and I think Derek does want to throw the ball down the field. And I think with Say Jones, he has a guy that he trusts. Uh, to do it. I, I think what's impressive with Derek is you're right. We've spent so much time talking about cars, cars statistically. And I, I went to Fresno state. I was working in media in Fresno when Derek was there. I've watched his entire, every game he's ever played. I've watched, trust me, go watch some of the Fresno state Devonte Adams tape. He loves throwing the ball down the field. It's been such a statistical conversation with him for so many years, exactly to the point you made. And I think what's made this stretch run so impressive, it's not been, it's not been about anything pretty. 
it's been about him in big moments making big plays mm-hmm. against Cleveland, against Denver, against Indianapolis. And that's really, I mean, no one goes back to Tom Brady's like, you know, first Super Bowl run statistical game law and goes, oh, I don't know. You know, I remember this differently now that I see he only threw for 201 yards. But it was about making plays in big moments. And I think Derek's not been a, been in a lot of those big moments, like those postseason bright lights, everybody's watching type of moments. Hmm. And this is another one for him on Sunday. And I just I, I think it's been really impressive what he's done this year. It's not going to go down as his, you know, as an MVP season relative to some of the other years. But if they win Sunday night, it, I think it will be the year that Derek Carr crossed over into a new realm. You know, and um, I think that would be significant for the Raiders. And and it, for for a few years now, it's been like, is he good enough to extend? Is he good enough? He says he'll never play for another team. Will he, how much are they going to pay him? Do they have the money? Different variations, some that have been focused on him and some that have been focused on the Raiders. But I think they answer a lot of questions. They answer a lot of questions. And- well, this takes us in a different direction. But the conversation a few weeks ago was kind of looking at the Raiders roster and saying like, "Mm, I don't know, this needs a lot of work. Maybe we should trade Derek Carr having nothing to do with Derek Carr. It's not an indictment of Derek Carr. It's almost an indictment on the roster and saying like this, we can get something for him because there's so many quarterback needy teams. If you go to the postseason, if you win a game in the postseason, if Derek Carr actually is one of the reasons that that happens, then does that bring you back to a weird position where now all of a sudden you can't get rid of Derek Carr because that feels weird, um, but you do still need a lot of work with regard to the roster because we both look at them and we think they're kind of playing a little bit over their heads. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I thought this team was going to win nine games this year. That was my prediction. And, um, you know, I, they've, got a, they've, got a, they've got a chance to make the playoffs, which is more significant than the number of games you win. I think it would hurt to not make the playoffs this year, no doubt. I think it would be impressive to make the playoffs in this AFC this year um, because you have to be a good team to make the playoffs in the AFC this year. So I've never been a big believer that they should move on from Derek. I think above average to really good quarterbacks are very, very, very hard to find. If I were Seattle, I'd be more interested in trying to find a way to get Russell Wilson better than trying to trade him to the Giants for their first round picks. Um, I think they're really hard. Now I, I know it well, you know, you know it. Um, I've got a couple of buddies, Raider fans that they text what you just described, like mm-hmm. in one game, I'm getting both sides of that. Right. One guy, the same guy early in the game, we've got to get rid of him. End of the game, 10 years, 300 million. Let's pay him. Totally. Um, I, I think it's real. I think Derek has above, above average skills and has been in a below, below average situation for his career. And that's just the fact that he's been in several different situations. Even if you think this situation is better than the other situations, um, I think he's been in just by nature of being in in, uh, unstable uh, situations. It's, it's been, it it has not been great. So I'm not pro trade Derek uh, unless it's like, well, you're trading him and you're getting Aaron Rodgers. Okay, fine. Yes. Pro that. But for the most part, how are you upgrading? Because you've got a brand new stadium. I don't think you're interested in doing like a three-year rebuild. I, I, I would bet everything that Mark Davis is not interested in doing that or a two-year rebuild or searching for your next quarterback. So, um, you know, I don't put him in the same category as Baker. It's like, what do you do with the extension? Like, I think Derek's better. 
And I I think it's an easier decision, right? Um, And so uh, I would keep him. I wouldn't trade him unless I'm trading for Aaron Rodgers or old Russell or not, you know, better Russell, the older version of Russell Wilson, maybe. But there's no guarantee you're doing that. So um, I think they're, I think, I think if I'm a coach considering that job, is Derek Carr a reason to take it or a reason not to take it? I think he's a reason to take it. 100%. And maybe they don't need as much as we thought they did. A few weeks ago, the defense is playing yeah. pretty well. Denzel Perryman did things to Quentin Nelson last week that you do not see people to do to Nelson uh, very you. often. I think they've shored up some of their issues on D. They have. They, actually, they, they, they were a bad defensive team, and they've gotten better on defense. Well, we'll see how it goes this weekend against the Chargers. Oh, I can't wait. Cross your fingers. What will be a win and getting lose and go home type of? But game then you guy. want. But it's like God. You want to see Herbert also. I would I, love the tie and get in game. That would be a fascinating game. Actually, yeah, because those are the two teams I would actually rather see in the postseason. Though, though Jonathan Taylor is kind of fun, right? In a postseason situation where you've got a run well, game and. But I, I, God, I think Herbert, question. Herbert, and the the explosiveness that that offense has. I mean, there's not so burrow and Herbert, that's going to be a conversation for years. That's that's fun. And I think it's funny to see the fact that we've kind of gone back and forth on them as the season goes on. It's like, Oh, Herbert, clearly the guy that was the guy in the class and everything else is wrong. And then now these last few weeks, it's burrow clearly is the guy. And so we have a lot of recency bias happening. The thing that we can say with a great deal of certainty is that both of those guys are franchise quarterbacks moving forward. They're both great. Let's continue this conversation for the next, next decade and have fun with that. That the thing about Herbert that I love is you get into third and long and he's outstanding, right? Like one of the best quarterbacks in the whole league statistically on third down. You don't want to be in a third and long, but if you're the Chargers and you're in a third and long, you still feel okay about that situation because he can just like whoop right downfield, prettiest ball you've ever seen straight to the end zone, 70 Which yards. was one of the questions, like they were good. He was good last year. How is that? Could that possibly sustain? Mm-hmm. Um, and it has, but I think you just, what you said was, a very hard question to answer, which is if you had to pick two of the three Raiders, Colts, Chargers from an entertainment value, the argument I would make for the Colts is I think Carson, given his history, right? His Super Bowl ring came on Nick Foles' team, I think would make that really interesting. Mm. Um, and the fact that if you watch the Colts every week, like a lot of people do, you know that once a game, he tries a two hand, two handed overhand pass, overhead <laughs> pass. And uh, and the left-handed pass. Usually just both of those each game, which is just a moment. It's definitely a moment. Yeah. I think I'm going to stick with the Raiders and Chargers personally okay. and let Jonathan Taylor be in the MVP conversation and let the Raiders be like the Cinderella story that everybody yeah. is kind of like, can they do it? I don't know. And let the Chargers be that upstart that could beat anybody on a given day, but also lose to anybody on a given day. That's a lot of fun in the postseason. Guy, this Great. has been fun for me. Thank you so much for your time. Always, Lindsay. Good to talk to you. Guy Haberman, that's his name. That's his Twitter handle also. And you can find the Haberman and Middlecoff podcast wherever you get your podcasts. They're also up on YouTube. Coming up next, one of my very favorite people who's probably not enjoying his favorite season. It's been a rough one for his former team, the New York football giants. Sean O'Hara is with us next. What is up, everyone? It's Jeff Ratcliffe, the host of the Rant Podcast. Join me weekdays for my unique brand of insight and analysis that will help you crush your fantasy football leagues and DFS contests. 
I'm also bringing you the sharpest betting angles, unique parlays, and the need-to-know info that helps put units in your pocket. The Ranch, the fantasy football podcast that's on every winning lineup. Subscribe today wherever you get your podcasts or listen on the SXM app free for most subscribers. Sean O'Hara, welcome to the show. It's so good to see your face. Hi, Lindsay. Happy New Year. Here's Happy to year. 2022. Hopefully, a whole new year of, of new and exciting adventures. And hopefully, a, a lot more of them are maskless and in person <laughs> as a remote. Oh, my gosh. From your lips. So, Sean, before we get into things, I have to tell you really quick. Uh, our producer, Andrew Emmer, is a massive Giants fan and told me right before you came on that he owned a Sean O'Hara jersey. Wow. Wow. Andrew, uh, that's awesome. Um, I, my first question to you is, what do you mean past tense? Owned? Oh, yeah. yeah. I, I, put, the, I put the past tense. Like I, I, I don't know where it is. I, I will say I don't Perfect. know where it is right oh, now. Oh, you don't wear it to games still, Andrew? Uh, I haven't been to a game in a while, I have to admit. Um, it's been a little hard to justify spending that money for a while. Uh, but and I will all say it was a very knockoff jersey. I did not buy it from the team <laughs> store. I think I probably bought it in the parking lot of Giant Stadium uh, during um, probably the first Super Bowl run. And yeah, uh, yeah I, had, I had a jersey of Sean O'Hara, Eli Manning, and uh, Jeff Fiegels. Those are my three jerseys. Well, I tell you what, you might have been up in Albany with us in training camp because those were my two roommates in camp, Fiegel and Eli. Um, and let me tell you, we, we had some good times after bed check, uh, the three of us. So th that explains maybe why you have those three. I'll say this. I'm very, I'm very flattered that you have an O'Hara jersey. Um, usually it's just like family members that have the O-line jersey. When you're an O-line, you kind of just get used to that. Um, but I also, I feel even extra flattered the fact that you have a knockoff. I feel like, you know, there's a saying that imitation is the highest form of flattery. Like you've made it if you have a knockoff of like whatever brand you are, <laughs> right? Lindsay, you know about this a little bit. Like, all right, New York City, you go down Canal Street and like if your brand is on Canal Street, like, you know, you've made it. Do, uh, did, did they make? Sean O'Hara jerseys like through NFL shop? Like, was that one that, or can you always buy anybody's? You just decide the name. I don't know how this works. It's a complicated answer, Lindsay. Okay. And for a number of reasons, um, number one, you could always get official game worn or official jerseys through your equipment manager, depending on how good your Christmas bonus was with them. No, like you could, but a fan couldn't. On, on NFLshop.com, yes, you could go get an O'Hara jersey. Here is the challenge. When you have an apostrophe in your last name, NFL Shop knows they have no idea what to do with an apostrophe. Like, I've had so many people hit me up. Hey, I tried to order your jersey and the apostrophe just like wrecks everything. My whole order got canceled. No. So you've got to, you've got to like eliminate the apostrophe and just go straight O'Hara. But yeah, um, you can buy them on there. And you know what? You've really, you've got to want it. So even now to this day, like if you walk around and you see an old lineman's jersey, you're like, all right. Is that a family member? Did that guy lose a bet? No, he's super fan. I love it. And you got to go right up. So, Andrew, I'll happily sign your jersey anytime. Yay! If, if I find it, I will take you up on that. Well, dude, to... Andrew, just be like, yes, I yes, will yes. find it. Like, he just offered to it. sign your jersey. I will find it. I promise. I'll make this hard for him. Like, eh, if I get time. <laughs> you know what, Andrew? Let's just hope that next year you will willingly and proudly be donning all three of those jerseys at some point during the season. Or maybe there will be Giants players 
that you feel so inclined to go out and buy their jerseys that are active players. How close are we to that? Sean O'Hara. So obviously talking to Andrew, Andrew's a little bit frustrated. It sounds like with the giants and maybe what he's seen on the field so far this year and the direction that they're going in. What is the kind of feedback that you get? Cause I know that you're around the team a lot. You also live in the area. So you get a lot of giants fans coming up to you to talk to you about the team. What's the, the, you know, most consistent thing that you hear when you're just out in the community. Yeah, Lindsay, probably the number one thing that I hear right now, and you know, it's it's kind of comical but sad, is, is are you are you coming back to play? Like, oh can you suit back up? Now, mind you, I'm, have they like, seen how skinny you are? I mean, yeah, I'm not I'm not 305 pounds anymore like I used to. So the fact that they're even asking me to suit up now at, at 230 pounds is um, a little bit head scratching, but. That's just where Giants fans are right now. I feel like they are just so beat down right now and so disappointed. Um, it's been a tough year. And look, in, in earlier in the season, th- there were some losses that they took that were heartbreaking. And early losses can sometimes really dictate you know, how your team feels about itself in November and December. But right now, Giants Nation, I, I feel like for the last month, I have been a New York Giants psychologist. And it's every time Giants fans come up, give me something to cling to. Give, give me something to hold on to as a Giants fan so I'm not losing my jerseys like Andrew, um, so so that I'm not like finding other things to do with my Sundays. Because that's really the challenge is, you know, even on Fan Appreciation Day where they're handing out free Pepsis, nobody wants it. Nobody wants that. That That's that's like, you know, it, it's almost insulting to them. and. It's insulting to ask Giants fans to continually root for a dysfunctional team. And I think that's that's the thing that I see um, you, you, outside. That's the outside public opinion. Now, when I go inside the building, obviously things are different now, Lindsay. You know, two years ago, I would talk to players. I'd go in the cafeteria and see the coaches. There's much more banter. Now it's like you go in the building, you're allowed to be in this room, this room. You can't go in there. And so it's like, man, you just feel – I feel so disconnected from the team. I can't imagine how these players feel, even amongst their own their own teams. The, the, the meetings are virtual. This is how they're holding team meetings now. Like, just think about that from a team chemistry standpoint, how hard that is, not just the Giants, but every team. Like, my favorite point in the day was hot tub, cold tub, eating with the guys, breakfast, lunch, you know, weight room, that camaraderie. That's how you build all that chemistry. These players don't even have that. So it's been really hard to to, to kind of get that feeling like what are these players like what are the coaches like but the people that i have had a chance to talk to on you know in different platforms this this is a different team than what we saw two years ago from a culture standpoint but it's not the same it's 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 not a different team from an execution standpoint and i know this is a a long-winded answer to your question a lot of people say right now you know we got a clean house what would you do who are you hiring who are you firing I've never, I've never been one to stand up here and say, fire this guy, like fire this coach. Um, those guys have families. Those guys put in their heart and soul. Like nobody's wearing these losses harder than the mayors, the Tishes, and Joe Judge and the staff. So, but I, I look at, I always blame, blame players more so than anything. Lindsay, you and I spend a lot of time together talking about football and like, like, like a parent, like you are and like I am. I'm, I'm trying to get my eight-year-old son to put his lunchbox away and hang his coat up every single day that he comes home from school. 
And you know what? In five, in a five-day week, he maybe does it two out of those five days. Those other three days, I look at him and I say, what's the issue here? Like, I'm telling you what to do. You're not doing it. So am I a bad parent or is he a bad kid? You know, it's probably somewhere in between, but it's the execution. I know I've taught him how to do it. I've showed him how to do it. He knows what to do. He's not doing it. So the players are not doing it. I, I, even this Monday morning here after week 17, I turn on a film and I see like players not blocking the protections correctly. I see quarterbacks not making the right reads. I see guys, running backs missing holes and things that shouldn't be happening to a team in week 17. I, I put it all on players first and, and then, and then I go to the coaching second. Well, so in the front office is also involved in all of this, right? And we're talking about them at this time of year in terms of who gets to come back, who should come back, all that kind of stuff. Uh, they're in charge of picking who the players are. So if the players aren't executing, then to to a certain degree, you know, you kind of point the finger at like, maybe we need to get different people to pick different players. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's, you know, they're going to reevaluate that entire process. Um, and to your point, I look at the Giants roster and, and I'll, I'll be honest with you, this offseason for the Giants, the focus was offense, right? It was production. Who can we sign? They bring in Kenny Galladay. They signed John Ross. They brought in Kyle Rudolph. It was all about who can we bring in, Kadarius Toney, to, to give this offense some life. So with all those pieces, it was, wow, you know what? This, this offense can really look totally different. Kenny Galladay, zero touchdowns this year. Kadarius Toney. I don't think he has a touchdown yet, and he hasn't played in weeks. Kyle Rudolph He's been had, in and out, yeah. Uh, all these players, John Ross has one touchdown. We've got an offensive lineman, Andrew Thomas, that has just as many touchdowns as a lot of the wide receivers, which is mind-boggling. So I, I look at that standpoint and I say, okay, the, the general managers and the people that made the decision, they brought in players that had had production elsewhere, and it didn't turn out. So, I, again, is that – I mean, I think they both shoulder the blame for that. Um, and there have been misses by both Dave Gettleman and the scouting staff. But I also look at it like you, you can't just look at it's like when you go to Vegas, right? You can't just say, oh, you only count when you win. Like there are losses, too. There's times when you get your head kicked in. you got to account for all that. There are players that they have hit on as well. And there have been good players that they brought in. I think Andrew Thomas has been their best offensive lineman. I think he's he's become their cornerstone left tackle for the future. Um, I think Xavier McKinney, who they got as a steal as a second round last year, has been phenomenal. I even think guys that they brought in like Blake Martinez has been phenomenal. He got hurt. He's, he's, you know, you lose your captain, your middle linebacker. That's not on the GM. Blake Martinez never missed a game in his life. Um, you know, Saquon Barkley, obviously, that's going to be one that, that Dave Gettleman, you know, takes to the grave with him. I don't blame Dave Gettleman for Saquon getting hurt. The guy had never been hurt in college. Um, Dave Gettleman also drafted Christian McCaffrey, who, you know, listen, everybody drafted him as the number one pick in almost every fantasy draft. And you know what? He got hurt. It's not the GM's fault when a player gets hurt. So there's two sides to that coin. I, I do think that the Giants, Dave Gettleman was a, a short term fix, given his age, given the situation they were in with transitioning from Jerry Reese. They never viewed Dave Gettleman as a long term solution. So is this the time when I think when they go out and find that long-term answer, I think there's plenty of opportunity for that to, for this to be that time. And I think there are plenty of reasons for that to go uh, that direction. Um, you know, if people ask me about Joe judge, what I think about him, um, my answer is this, uh, there are a lot of reasons to keep Joe. 
Uh, I really, I think he's a really good coach. I think he's really good um, at developing the the team and, and how they're going to go about things during the week and how it hasn't translated onto the game field. But when I see the way that the team responds to him, they do. Um, there, there's hope. Yeah, I, I think that this is a totally different locker room than we saw a couple of years ago. The players respect Joe Judge and they have learned a lot from him. And I think like any NFL player will tell you if the coach is going to teach me techniques on how to win, like don't correct me. Like to me, coaching is teaching a player how to do something right, not telling them what they did wrong after the fact. Anybody can stand up and say, oh, this is what you did wrong. Like that's called correcting. Coaching is about teaching you how to do things the right way. And I think Joe Judge has a lot of that ability. Um, the, the real thing uh, for the Giants going forward is just offense. Like that, that's where the focus needs to be. And how do they find a way to get some sort of production? Yeah. And unfortunately, from top to bottom, you know, you mentioned a few names there, particularly on the offensive line, but like they 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 look like a roster that's that's pretty far away everywhere else. Let me ask you about this um, and then we can move on. The the box score from Sunday, I thought was confusing. And I'm wondering if you can explain it to me because they had four pass completions and 11 pass attempts and 40 rush attempts in a game where they lost by 26 points. So typically that game script would suggest that we need to take to the air. Understandably, Mike Glennon, uh, Jake Fromm, who will be playing this week, these are not best-case scenario quarterbacks, but still, don't you need to give your team a chance by putting it in the air when you're trailing by so much? What 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 was the thought process there? Yeah, it's it's a great question. And ironically, the Giants started off that game. The very first play of the game was empty formation pass that resulted in a sack force fumble that almost went to the house the other way. Um, you know, if I'm an offensive lineman and I'm like, look, we're going to play in Chicago, like it's going to be windy. It's going to be cold. We're going to be playing the elements. Um, we've got our backup quarterback in there. Maybe we don't start the game off with empty formation and just invite them to come hit our quarterback and to blitz somebody and force into a bat. Maybe we start the game off with a run or maybe two runs. That would be me, you know, standing on my chair on Saturday night saying, this is our first play. No, like we got, we got to have a conversation. Um, this is a young offensive line. So that conversation is not going to happen. You don't have guys that are willing to speak out like that. Um, they also, you know, Billy Price, who was their backup center, who they traded for when Nick Gates broke his at his leg, Billy Price was out. So they were starting Matt Skura, who had been their left guard. They moved him over to center. So given that aspect too, I would say, look, we're going to be very conservative to start the game off. We're not going to blow this game in the first quarter. Let's let Mike Glennon get some rhythm. So I, I didn't like the way the game started. And to your point, they every time they tried to throw the ball, somebody either got beat or somebody didn't know who to block or somebody didn't know who was hot. And it was, it was like, you know what? Like, this is going to hell in a handbag really quick. Like, let's not create any more fires. So, um, you know, at let's that point, it already- this up on the clock. Like, don't stop the clock. Like, let's get <laughs> going. Like, we, we got a plane to catch. Um, you know, I, I think that that's kind of where it came. Is down that to. what he meant by we're a whole lot closer than we are farther away? Like in terms of time, we're going to get this season done fast by running the clock and we're going to yeah. get to 2022. We are closer. Yeah. It's funny future. because they, 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 they were a lot more concerned about getting off the field than they were off the podium. Um, and, and I think that you just look at that, like, look, our offense is struggling. We, we've got 
uh, a left guard in West Martin who's, you know, making a, I don't know how many starts he's had in his entire career, but like we're, we're just not very functional offensively. Let's let's run the football. Let's play as basic of a game plan as you can play out there. And let's just try to find a way to get this game through. Okay, well, I know this conversation so far has been uh, like a variation of torture for you, making you talk about the Giants in this fashion. Um, so let me hit on one of the notes from 2021 that I know has been good for you and people like you, Sean. You mentioned Andrew Thomas and his touchdown. More big man touchdowns this season than ever before. Taylor Decker's touchdown on Sunday, bringing the season total to 12. And I would like to go back in time with you. Oh, boy. To, to a moment where you two experienced said glory. 2001, September 23rd, Browns hosting the Lions. 1330 left in the second quarter, roughly. Tim Couch comes into the huddle and he says what? He says, oh, hero, you better get open. I'm coming to you. <laughs> K4 all cross was the play call. Um, and I was the, uh, I wasn't starting at the time. So I was the extra offensive lineman. So it was like, you got to come in, you got to report as eligible, 60 is eligible. And I lined up as the backside tight end. And um yeah, I tell you, the moons were in alignment, Lindsay. Um, this play, we ran in practice. And actually, so Bruce Arians, who I love to death, was our offensive coordinator. And he was a big fan of mine. He coached at Temple. I went to Rutgers. So he used to, we used to always have a little banter there. But um, he was a he was a, a big part of, of my NFL career from a com- confidence standpoint. But I'll never forget when he put this play in, he's like, you know, we're going to try to get you a touchdown. And we ran the play one time in practice. And Tim tried to throw me the ball and it was like five yards over my head. I wasn't open. I'm like, yeah, this is not happening. But when they called the play and I broke the huddle and Tim said, Oh, hero, I'm, I'm coming to you get open. I, I like had to hide my face as I walked to the line of scrimmage. Cause I'm like, don't let them see it. I'm smiling right now. Like, so like, I literally didn't look at anybody on the defense. I put my head down. Cause I'm like, I know I'm going out for a pass like this. Don't, don't give it away. Um, were you nervous? Were you giddy? Like, what was the yeah. whole vibe? All, all of the above. All, all of the above. I was, I was excited because I, number one, as a fat kid, you don't get to run routes. Like, you know, and, and then like to know there's a chance, there's a small chance that this could happen. Um, a little backstory. My parents were at the game. So they lived in New Jersey. So they drove out for the game. And I told my dad, hey, look, you know, I, I'm a, I was a wedge captain on kickoff return, I said, and I'm also a part of the goal line and short yardage package. And he said, is there a pass play in that package? And I said, yeah. I said, there's no way they're going to call it. There's no way I'm going to they're gonna throw it to me. So all of that's like before the game. And then on a macro level, um, this was the first game back after 9-11. So Ooh. 9-11 happened. We canceled the games. And then that was the first game back. So it was like a very emotional scene leading up to that whole game as it was. Um, And my, one of my best friends in college, Mike McMahon was on the other sideline. He played for the Detroit lions. He had gotten drafted. So there was all that going on leading up to the play. Um, But as the, the ball was snapped, our fullback was the first read Mike Sellers. He tripped and fell. So his defender fell off and covered Ricky Dudley, who was running the post corner. And so he, so Couch looked at Mike Sellers. He was on the ground. Ricky Dudley covered. 
And then I saw his eyes scan to me. And I think that my heart stopped at that moment. And I saw in the ball, it took, the ball took about as long as this answer did to get to me. Uh, but it was, it, it was a really cool moment. I wish we weren't wearing all white jerseys. I wish I had the brown jersey for the slimming effect, but it was a really cool moment. Oh my gosh. Were you just like, hands don't drop yeah. ball? You kind of like go like into like, don't think about a mode, just let your body react. Like you, you got this. Um, the ball was a little bit behind me, so I had to adjust, but. Oh, so athletic, Sean. Yeah, clearly. And then uh, everybody comes over and celebrates and, you know, I'm like hyperventilating because I can't, I'm so excited. Oh, but then I'm like, I'm also on PAT. So like, I, I've got to like, I started running off the field and then I'm like, oh shoot, I got to go back with PAT. So um all of that was it was pretty cool uh you know of course there was no twitter no social media back then mm-hmm. um you mentioned the, the big kids touchdowns uh, the big man touchdowns this year i've been educated on this now apparently there this is a trend now and it's it has its own hashtag it's called the thick six t-h-i-c-c oh. thick six when a big man scores a touchdown so um i wish i would have been part of a thick six crew but uh, it's definitely a cool, a cool moment for, for a chubby kid. Would you have like come up with a celebration that you had in your back pocket? Cause now obviously that's a thing, right? So yeah, you be ready I, to go at a moment's notice. No, I, I don't think that's appropriate. You know, I, look, I, I, Walter Payton was a, was a big fan of mine and he always acted like, like he'd been there before Barry Sanders as well. No, I would have never done a, a, a celebration like on my, like, look at me. Um, I would have done maybe, you know, celebrate with the teammates in, in, in a natural moment, but nothing like what Christian Wilkins did down in Miami when he scored his touchdown, he did the Lambo leap into the stadium. And then he also did the worm. Like it was cl- that he had a whole plan mapped out dude I, go for it he was called up from the practice squad this week first ever nfl start he goes nuts um a hundred percent do all the celebrations i have no problem with that just don't point at anyone now because right. that's a fine and a penalty no and like don't 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 do that um so who is the best offensive line in the game this year um man this is a good one i've Early in the season, I thought the Saints were the best offensive line, you know, with Ryan Ramchick and Teron Armstead, and then they started to get banged up. So uh, things have kind of morphed. And then really the, the the offensive line that kind of came out of nowhere is the Chiefs offensive line and just kind of seeing the way that they have played with so many new pieces. I, I don't know that it's ever happened in NFL history where uh, a Super Bowl team, a team that goes to the Super Bowl, brings back five totally new starters the very next season. Uh, I mean, is that especially hurtful as a Giants fan now? Like, see, they did it in one off season anyway. Sorry. Yeah. It's yeah. It kind of takes, it kind of takes that whole narrative out. Well, it's, it takes time to build an offensive line, you know, and they draft the Creed Humphreys in the, you know, in the first round at center, they Trey Smith has done a great job for them. A late round pick Um, Orlando Brown, you know, he was a converted right tackle over to left tackle. And he's done a nice job. Of course it helps when you've got, Mahomes and Kelsey and Tyreek Hill, um, you know, to, to kind of gloss over some, some situations, but that offensive line has played really well. Um, How about Trent Williams out West and what he's doing this year? Yeah. Trent Williams has been a monster and watching film on him. He's not blocking people. He's destroying people. Like he's throwing like, them to the ground. Yeah. It, it's, it's like a bouncer at a nightclub. 
you know, that's like just like ragdolling this little guy that's like getting out of control. And it's like he's just toying with guys. Um, he's bringing grown men to their knees down on the goal line in pass protection. It's I think he's been the best offensive lineman uh, individually. Trent Williams, their offensive line has had their ups and downs. But I think one offensive line unit that pro- really doesn't get as much recognition is the Patriots line. Um, David Andrews coming back from, from missing the entire season last year uh, has been a great story. I think Trent Brown, what he's done for that offensive line um, at right tackle, uh, their guards have been phenomenal. And, and keep in mind, they lost Joe Tooney uh, to the Chiefs through free agency. Um, and yet they've been one of the most physical offensive lines in the NFL. Uh, they're certainly fun to watch. You know, anytime they run the ball, you know, 49 times. They look like when you turn on the film of Army Navy game, that's what the Patriots look like. Oh, gosh. Like just run, 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 run. Um, it's, and offensive linemen, we kind of like that. Yeah. How, how much, like, is there a point in the game when you especially like those calls or like how, how does this play out for an offensive lineman? Or is it different for every offensive lineman? Do some people enjoy pass blocking more? Or is this pretty much across the board, like run blocking? That's what we prefer to do. I don't know many offensive linemen that enjoy pass blocking. Like you're, you're just very reactive. Um, you know, you're maybe not in control. Yeah. I mean, maybe Tony Baselli when he was like in his prime and he was calling out Jason Taylor, you know, and he was like, come on, let's go. Like Tony Baselli, like for him, it was fun. Jonathan Ogden, that was probably fun for most offensive linemen. Pass protection is certainly not fun. And on third and long, like in silent count, that's, that's like an offensive lineman's worst nightmare. I would say the dream scenario for offensive line is you've got a lead, one point lead, three point lead, and you get the ball back with four and a half minutes to go in the game. And the other team never gets the ball. Like you literally just run the football. You get a first down, you get another first down, another first down, and you run the clock out. We call it our four minute offense. And it's something you have designed plays for that exact same scenario. And in 2008, we were, the best offensive line in, in the league. And, um, you know, I say that because of the guys to, to my right and my, to my left, not because of me, but we closed games out and I'll never forget the feeling after the game of the defense coming over and be like, y- y- y'all are bad. Like we know when you get the ball, like we start taking our tape off, like on the sideline, we know that's a wrap. Like the game is over with it's signed, sealed, delivered. Here we go. And that's when you know that you have a special offensive line, but that's when you know you have a special team. That's because you're a baller, Sean O'Hara. <laughs> and and uh, we know that our producer, Andrew Emmer, agrees. One of my favorite people in the whole wide world and certainly my favorite giant of all time. And obviously, I'm not alone. And we're going to get you that jersey and get it signed. And uh, don't be surprised if it's not a Colts Jeff Saturday jersey that comes in the mail. <laughs> uh, th- those knockoffs are, are probably even harder to come by. <laughs> You're the best. All right. Thanks, Lindsay. Sean O'Hara, absolutely the best. And I mean that in the present tense. You can obviously find his work on NFL Network and also on Twitter at Sean O'Hara 60. No apostrophe because Twitter like NFL shop, not an easy to navigate space for punctuation. (laughs) I brought up Jeff Saturday there at the end. The two of them very often confused for one another. Wouldn't it be great? And O'Hara and I talked about this after I said goodbye. Uh, After we said goodbye, I guess. Um, If he and Saturday went on the Manning cast together with their quarterbacks, 
the Mannings, they could do a game of like, who knows their center best? This information is this Saturday or is it O'Hara? They could play off the fact that so many people mistake them for each other. Do their quarterbacks even know the difference? Just here providing content, right? It'd be so good. Obviously, the stories they could tell about the quarterbacks would be awesome, too. I know Eli used to make Sean change his pants at halftime. He's told us this story several times um, because the area where Eli would put his hands was a little bit more sweaty than he would like. So, you know, sweaty ass stories. Who doesn't love a sweaty ass story? Anyway, looking ahead this week, we're going to do a Friday fantasy episode like usual even though I know most of you are not playing fantasy anymore, at least in your season-long leagues. If you won your championship, by the way, congratulations. I lost. Boo. I didn't have a single championship. And it didn't even really come down to the wire. I was playing against Najee Harris. So my opponent, Mike Dempsey, uh, he did get those points. But I'm sad to say that it didn't decide the matchup because I think I set a record for like people in my championship lineup who scored less than 10 points. Thanks, George Kittle and other people anyway. That's a separate conversation. There are like 30% of people I understand that actually take their championships into the last week of the season, week 18. Um, that's a number that I got from John Hansen, the guru. Uh, I have no idea if it's even remotely accurate, but because he threw that out and I assume he knows what he's talking about, I figured it would be worth to do uh, worth it to do one more fantasy episode. And then we're going to switch to two episodes a week starting next week in the playoffs. And I hope that you'll join us for those. If you enjoyed today's episode and you do want to hear more, please give us a five-star rating and leave a review. We'd love to get your reviews. Um, Subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Pandora, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's also incredibly helpful. The NFL Roadshow is also available on the SXM app, free for most subscribers. Just download it today. Tap podcasts. Boom, there will be. Uh, For video clips of the show and more, follow me on Twitter, Lindsay underscore Rhodes. I'm also on Instagram at Lindsay Rhodes NFL. The NFL Roadshow is part of the SiriusXM Podcast Network. The executive producer is Andrew Emmer, who you heard from today. Love him. He's the best. And a special thanks to SiriusXM Senior Vice President of Sports Programming and Podcasting, Steve Cohen. Now, Andrew, go get the Sean O'Hara jersey, which you own present tense, out of your mom's basement or wherever it is, so we can get that signed. And then uh, we'll meet back here again on Friday. Serious XM Podcasts.